The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Welcome to the Inn. My name is Janie. Um, I'm one of the people on staff here, and welcome to the September Inn, which is used to be called um, the In-Between, because it's the transition period from the Summer Inn into when we kick off the Inn for the school year, but um, we changed the name to September Inn because we thought it sounded more professional or something. I don't know why we changed the name, but this is the In-Between. Glad that you guys are here. Um, and it is technically still summer, so we could still be calling it summer in, right? The fall equinox isn't until the 22nd or something. What is that right, Becky? What's the day? The 21st? Oh, okay. It's 2 a.m. on the 23rd when autumn, I knew she would know. That's when autumn actually arrives. Um, but this, it feels like summer, right? It's going to be like 90 this weekend, which is crazy. And summer is great. I love it um, when it's sunny outside. Everybody's chipper and happy, happy to be alive. Although I think we, and we love to be outside eating ice cream and whatever. I, th- I think we all know people that seem to always kind of bring people down. Even if it's sunny outside, they'll be just a little bit like a negative Nancy or something. Um, Nobody likes to be around those people when you're feeling great. Example, like you're eating ice cream on a hot summer day, you're outside, and you're eating ice cream, and, you know, the person, that person happens to say how fattening or bad for you that ice cream is. That's not what you want to hear. We all know people like that. And if you don't, maybe you're that person. Just saying. <laughs> it reminds me of the Saturday Night Live skits um, from a while ago, Debbie Downer. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those. So I'll show you. This is a little clip of Debbie Downer at Thanksgiving, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with, with Deb. So you might be wondering, you got the gist of that even if you didn't see their foreheads, but whatever. <laughs> um, you might be wondering, why are we talking about Downers? Um, I mean, it's, it's sunny outside, you know, school hasn't started yet for most of us. Why would we be talking about Debbie Downer? Well, partly because we are actually going to be looking at a book in the Old Testament that a lot of people think is kind of a Debbie Downer, the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, It's one of the most well-known books in the Bible, even though it's one of the least understood. And frankly, it's kind of a downer, um, to be honest. Although many scholars would say, that's probably the point. You're not supposed to understand it. It's supposed to be a downer. Um, And people are familiar with it, even if they don't realize it. There's a part of chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, it's in a folk song from the 60s, and it's always used to, as a montage to capture the hippie free love of of the culture of the 60s. We'll play a clip so you know this is actually from Ecclesiastes, if you didn't know. So that, that song, popular song, is actually from the book of Ecclesiastes. Um... And it's also what some have called the strangest book in the Bible. It's part of what I like to think of as the alternative indie part of the Bible, right? It would be released by an independent record label. It doesn't have a real literary structure like a prayer or a poem or a narrative story. Instead, it's more like stream of consciousness. Really, it's kind of like a journal entry. And like most journal entries, it's full of contradictions. Um, 
it's almost the definition of the book, the contradiction after contradiction. And it's like the author, maybe he was setting out to confuse the reader. Here's an example from um, chapter 2. He says, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while fools walk in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. I saw wisdom is better than folly. Then I thought about it and realized, just kidding, it's not. (laughs) To get... To get into more specifics, Ecclesiastes, that word, is actually a Greek word, which means to assemble. And that could be like a teacher assembling a bunch of people to tell them things, or it could be this guy is assembling all this information and he's coming up with some great kind of idea that he he wants to share. So the author claims to be a king, and really it seems like he's trying to understand human existence and divine providence, and really he's asking that age-old question, Why are we here? What is the point to all of this? So that's where um, what Ecclesiastes is about. And this is a book about asking questions. And what we're going to do is ask some questions tonight as well. So in the spirit of Dwight K. Schrute, I'll say it this way. Question. Why should we care about the musings of someone who claims to be a king thousands of years ago? Well, honestly, I'll tell you that when I read Ecclesiastes, I see that it could really have been written today by some disaffected blogger. Like, it's eerie how related it is to our culture in 2011. Here's some things from Ecclesiastes. See if they sound familiar. First of all, first-person perspective, Facebook and Twitter, our whole world is from a first-person perspective. Profound disillusionment with the past, right? A lot of people have regret about what they've done. And in our culture, we're kind of disgusted with the way our society has behaved in the past. Uncertainty about the future. Yesterday, I saw a headline that read, Is America doomed to destroy itself? Groping for new answers. Especially in the world that we live in. I mean, we live in this economy or this culture of attention, right? Whatever is loudest, biggest, brightest, that is what grabs our attention, Just last night in the um, football game, University of Maryland versus University of Miami, obviously they are trying to grab attention with these uniforms. Can you believe these uniforms? Yeah, they're ridiculous. The Twitters were blowing up last night. People were talking about grabbing attention. To me, they look like what I thought of immediately was um, in Alice in Wonderland, the Queen of Hearts guards. They look like that, which those guys are playing cards, so I don't know what that says. But there are all these things that are trying to grab our attention, and that's what um, Ecclesiastes is about. There's nothing new under the sun. There's no point to anything. When we dig deep, honestly, is that how a lot of people in America feel, how they think? At the same time, where it looks for like disillusionment and, and the pointlessness of life, it also says the complete opposite. It's a book about contradictions, right? I said that already. In some ways, it's the college student handbook. Because one of the anthems that runs throughout Ecclesiastes is, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you're going to die. And don't get too deep, stay shallow. Life is much easier to handle that way. Seize the day, carpe diem. Yesterday I saw this tweet that said, today I'm getting a carpe diem tattoo. Or maybe tomorrow. Or maybe sometime next week. Get it? Carpe diem, seize the day. (laughs) Anyways. Uh, okay, um, question, question. So should we, should we ignore Ecclesiastes because of all the contradictions? 
how little it talks about God, and really the fact that the author kind of seems clinically depressed. Or maybe we can embrace it for the fact that he's presenting all these contradictions in life and the raw tension that we live in. Yeah, there are a lot of contradictions that we have no conclusions to. Well, our hope with this series, looking at Ecclesiastes, is that we might be able to see in the midst of all those contradictions the wisdom that this author has to offer to us. And maybe we can find things about how we can understand God, how we can understand this world, and how we can understand ourselves. Similar to us, really I think what the author is trying to find out is how do you find God in the daily grind of our existence, kind of the day-to-day of our life, in this big mystery of a world, this big mystery of faith that we live in. So before we dive in a little bit more um, into what the scripture actually says, I'm going to stop a minute and pray for, pray for us. Spirit of the living God, we know that you are present. We know that you are in our midst. And God, we ask that we would be aware of the fact that you are with us. We would be awake to your presence every moment. And in this space, we can hear you. We can know you even more. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be acceptable in your, in your eyes. In your holy name, amen. Okay, so we're going to look a little bit more at specifically at what the scripture of Ecclesiastes says. Kind of a quick and dirty survey of chapters 1 through 5. Um, see what wisdom we can glean. See what meaning we can make out of these contradictions that we're presented with. So the author starts with a whopper of a first line. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. All right, I think that's all we need to know. Let's close it up. Let's pray. This word, meaningless, actually appears 37 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's the Hebrew word, Hebel. And the word Hebel is actually the same, it's the same exact word as Abel, Adam and Eve's son, like his brother Cain murdered. And the fact that the word that this author is using, Habel, is the same word as someone who died, kind of gives you the idea of what he means by meaninglessness. In Hebrew, um, a good picture that they would use to kind of express it would be the image of vapor or breath. The picture of kind of emptiness. That's what meaningless is for this author. So from the beginning, the author wants us to know one important thing about life. It's futile. It's absurd. It's pointless. He goes on to say in the rest of the chapter, what does anyone gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. Basically, and the world spins madly on, we get up tomorrow and we do it all over again. This book could have been written by Debbie Downer. If we look through chapters 1 through 5, as, and we look at what is meaningless, here are some of the things that get listed. Success, power, wealth, work. Relationships, understanding wisdom, madness of folly, knowledge, laughter, 
pleasure, wine, food, labor, indulging oneself, achievement, striving, pain, grief, business, advancement, inheritance, and the succession of one's children. So I think he's basically kind of summed up life, right? That's everything right there. Those are the things that kind of define what we do. And one thing that I think is particularly interesting for a college crowd, he repeats over and over again how meaningless the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom is. In verses um, 17 and 18, he says, Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Now, when we're students... I think a lot of times we would agree how pointless the things that we are spending our time studying really are, right? But I don't want to get any phone calls from parents. My daughter said she went to the inn and you told them they should just drop out of college because it doesn't mean anything. I learned a ton in college. I grew a lot. I learned how to think, so stay in school, right? That's not my point. But when I step back, take an objective view of a lot of the things that I studied, the papers that I wrote, holy crap. What a meaningless waste of time a lot of that was. Here's the title of my senior thesis when I was at UW. On the seasonal migration of America's elderly, colon, the environmental, economic, and cultural impact of geriatric snowbirds and the burden they impart on regional government. (sighs) Oh, my gosh. I'm falling asleep just reading the title. That was a great time at UW. So the point is a lot of what we do is meaningless. And not only what we do or how we spend our time, but the world is full of oppression, toil, injustice, never-ending consumption. Here's some more observations from um, the author. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And then in chapter 5... Those who love money never have enough. Those who love wealth are never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Look at the world. Injustice rules the day. And I think in 2011, it's probably still true. Exploitation, that's just kind of the way things work. There's nothing that satisfies satisfies. Contentment is never found in consumption because it just leads to more consumption. So the question that we're left with, all of these things that are meaningless, everything that we do with our day and everything that happens in the world, the question is why? Why is all of this meaningless? Here's the answer that we get from Ecclesiastes. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter how you spend your time, no matter what you do, The fate is the same for everyone. Death. I would say sometimes we probably all agree, right? No matter what happens, you're going to die. So what's the point? There's no point to our existence. Pretty much life sucks. Man, we toil and we labor. We experience some pain and then we suffer and then we die. Now, if we read Ecclesiastes at face value, if... That is probably what we would get. It's what we would take away from this book. But there is more to that than just what we see on the surface of what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying. It's not all he has to offer. 
Because in the midst of all of this meaninglessness, he provides some glimpses of something else, something that offers meaning to what it is that we're doing on this tiny little rock, this tiny little speck in this ever-expanding, never-ending universe. Sprinkled throughout Ecclesiastes, there are these tiny little nuggets. In the midst of this stream of consciousness, oh man, everything is pointless, he reminds the reader that what provides purpose, meaning, life, satisfaction, is a relationship with God. I think the writer was brilliant to do it this way, making us kind of root around for little nuggets that God is how we find meaning. Kind of like the way that you would like look for bacon bits in a salad, right? We're trying to find, where the, where's the meaning in this? And then we find these little nuggets about God and finding meaning from God for our entire lives. God can be in everything we do to give it meaning and wonder and life. God can be a part of our work, our pursuit of knowledge, going to class, our wisdom, our pleasure, our success, our relationships, everything that makes up who we are. That is the point of all of this. God being in our lives. A couple of examples of these little nuggets. People can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? We can even find joy in eating because of God in our lives. And in chapter 3, he has made everything God. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. We find satisfaction. We find joy. We find pleasure. We find glimpses of eternity. It says there we can't fathom God, but we have some glimpses of eternity because he puts himself in, in our hearts. All of those things are what give us meaning, will give us life, will give us satisfaction. Why work hard? Why do we have relationships? What is the point of all of this? Not for success, power. The author tells us that's all meaningless, but everything we do in this world is another opportunity to know God, to experience God, to share God. We get these little glimpses of eternity. Maybe you guys have had like a couple of seconds when you're saying a prayer, or you're reading the Bible, or you're singing a worship song, and you're like, oh my, yes, that is it. That is God. And it's gone. You know, it's gone in a fleeting moment. And I know this is like existential. Like, what is Jenny talking about? Like, I don't know. Existing above the fray of the absurdity that is our life allows us to get glimpses of God, little moments where God is present with us. That's the point. That's the meaning for why we're here, for who God created us to be. Now, if you guys have been here before, you know that um, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of an expert when it comes to making mathematical formulas. So I did another one. This is a, it's another, um, I made an algorithm and it involves like sine and cosine, um, I'm, it's all very complicated. Again, there's no off on the genius switch. But this is a scale of meaningness. Um, and on the x-axis, is that the x-axis? <laughs> That's how much I know. Um, <laughs> on the x-axis are the things that are chasing after the wind, right? Wisdom, money, achievement, success, pleasure, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on. 
And then on the y-axis, you have God. And you see that this line is the meaningness of life. And it increases as God increases with all of the things that are chasing after the wind. As God increases, the meaning in our life increases. And actually, all the things that are, that are meaningless, that are worthless, that don't mean anything, they start to drop away out of our lives. But the things that are truly meaningful are filled with meaning because of God. If we keep God in mind, no matter what we're doing, we lose, we shed the meaninglessness that accompanies most of life. When we have a relationship with Jesus, shouldn't that be a part of all of our lives? Not just the convenient parts like Tuesday night when I'm at the inn or Sunday when I'm at church or if I happen to be reading my Bible or if I'm saying a prayer. What if you lived each day like Jesus had truly changed your life? I'll put it this way. If you were awake to God's presence, how would you be different? How would you be different in the way that you acted toward people? In the way that you drove in traffic? How would you be different in what you spent your time doing? Who you are when no one is looking? It would give meaning and worth to every moment of every day. In uh, chapter 5, verse 20, he writes, They seldom reflect, meaning people, people seldom reflect on the days of their lives because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. So the idea that we're going to keep thinking about how meaningless our lives are stops because God gives us gladness of heart. There's meaning in our day. Maybe if we paid attention to God's presence, we'd stop thinking about ourselves for two seconds. There's this book from the 17th century um, written by a monk named Brother Lawrence. Someone gave it to me actually in college. And I love this book. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. And the gist of it is the value of acknowledging God's presence every single moment of every day, no matter what we're doing, no matter how boring it might be. In fact, the majority of the book, Brother Lawrence is spending his time peeling potatoes and washing dishes. And somehow, he infuses those activities with meaning because God is present with him. He hated those jobs. But it gave him joy. It gave him purpose. And it gave him an awareness of God's love, the likes of which I have never grasped in my life. He had hope in everything he did. So what do you guys look at more than anything else during the day? What do you look at more than anything else? A mirror? No? Your phone, right? This is probably what you look at more than anything else during the day. I know it's what I look at more than anything else. And a few months ago, I was challenged to put the words on the back of my phone, like the screensaver of my phone, Are you awake? Question mark. So it's a question. Are you awake? Uh, (laughs) Every time I see that question, what I'm thinking to myself, are you awake to the fact that God is present with you right here, right now? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm hypersensitive to things that are over-spiritualized. I know a lot of people... um, They're averse to too much God talk. I'm one of those people. I've never 
um, programmed 105.3 onto my car radio, which is Christian station. I can't, I can't handle it. When someone mentions how God gave them a perfect parking spot, I have to physically stop myself from rolling my eyes, even though God might have, but that's just my reaction. So I understand things that seem kind of over the top spiritually. But putting that on my phone, are you awake? And it's been on there for, I don't know, like six months. Um, and challenging, ooh, God. Um, <laughs> Challenging myself to be more aware of God, um, I was actually woken up to the things that were going through my head when I was thinking, what, what am I thinking about? What's going through my head? And here's usually what it sounded like. What is the point? Life is stupid. Oh, I'm so disappointed. Those people are annoying. Janie, you are so stupid. This is pointless. I mean, you could hear the Debbie Downer music with like every, every sentence that I had in my head. Blah, 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 on and on. What I realized was how often I allowed despair, disappointment, discouragement, the circumstances of my day, I allowed those things to define my faith. Instead of allowing my faith to define my disappointment, my discouragement, the lens through which I'm going to see everything in this world. This past Sunday, George Hinman, um, the senior pastor here, said, we have to redefine we we'll, we redefine our faith based on our disappointment, and we need to redefine our disappointment based on our faith. What are the things that you are disillusioned with that you get disappointed by? Maybe it's you didn't get into the major that you wanted. You got a two point five on a test when you really thought you were going to three point five. You don't get into the Greek house that you wanted, or something that really rocks your world. Someone you love passes away. You're struggling with depression. You're trying to overcome a breakup. Now, what would happen if you were awake to God in those moments, in those struggles, in those discouragements? I'm not saying God's going to turn that frown upside down. I mean, maybe you're going to be pissed at God and you need to yell and interact with God. But... Being awake to God is going to give you glimpses of meaning, of life, of worth, glimpses of grace that you might not have even paid attention to. This includes doing things that you enjoy, things that bring life and laughter, and also things that you aren't so much fun, dealing with difficult people, overcoming temptations, becoming awake to God's presence every moment of every day. And as I've tried to do this, I think I've agreed more with the writer of Ecclesiastes in that human beings are fragile. And human beings are unable, I am unable to find security in myself, to save myself. And really what Ecclesiastes does, and really what all of the Old Testament does, is it prepares us for Jesus, right? The glimpse of grace, the size of which, the power of which, We would not even be able to imagine God in this world. The person whose life and death secure us to truly be who God created us to be, people with meaning and purpose and love. All we have to offer Jesus is right now, this moment. This is what we have to offer. Not regret about the past, not anxiety in future, not anxiety about the future, But right now, this is what we have to offer God, and that is where God is. God is right here with us right now. He's going to be with us when we go home tonight and go to bed. He's going to be with us tomorrow morning when we get up. And my challenge for us is, are we going to be truly awake to the fact that God 
is with us. Like the author of Ecclesiastes, let's search for the nuggets in our lives that give us glimpses of grace, that give us pictures of the fact that God's grace, God's meaning, God's purpose is with us. No matter who we are, no matter what we're doing, so that we can know God's love, we can share God's love with this world that desperately needs to know the meaning that only God can provide. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are grateful for your presence. And we are people who desperately want to be awake to your presence in our lives. Every moment of every day. God, I pray that you would remind us in the moments when we forget that you're with us. That you are with us. I pray that we would remember and know the fact that you and your presence are what gives us meaning, what gives us life, what gives us satisfaction that we aren't going to find in anything else. We thank you for that truth and pray that we could hide that in our hearts as well. In your holy name, amen.